0: This is Speaker for the Living, a podcast where we explore human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. My name is Seth Dare. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. I'm here with JJ Janflone.
1: Hey, everybody. Did you know that I believe I can fly? Aha. Uh-huh. That'll be funny in a minute.
0: It will. Okay, as you all know, we talk about uh, human trafficking and related topics and people who have been involved in human trafficking or have a trafficking narrative attached to their lives. hmm So uh, what would you call our topic today, JJ?
1: The R. Kelly sex slave explosion, aka the media doesn't talk about things good. I mean, that's that's just my working title, but if you want to come up with something a little bit snappier, like the case... Against Kelly, or something. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, we're gonna. This is gonna be another episode that, like, starts off, I think, sort of juicy, devolves into us being like people don't understand the definitions of things, and then slides back into being juicy again.
0: So, before talking about R. Kelly, uh, there was some news on the Catholic front by the Pope, His Holiness.
1: I like to call him Big Papa.
0: Yeah, so we've heard about pedophiles in the church, things like that. And uh, he just was asked about nuns being sexually abused, mm-hmm. and he said yes. And then he also mentioned sex slaves. I, I think that
1: to begin with, this was an issue of phrasing because the Vatican did come out and say that they were going to clarify the, the Pope's remarks. So, the the Pope does this thing where he when he's flying, he answers questions. And he was talking about sort of uh, the history of sex scandals within within the church. And he did make the phrase... He, he, he confirmed that the Vatican does believe that, that sexual abuse of people who, who live and work within the church and also of, of children and congregants has all happened. And in particular, he was referencing... The, he re- referenced sexual slavery of nuns within the church, but then the, a spokesperson for the Vatican, Alessandro Gisaldi, came out uh, a, a day later and said, quote, when the Holy Father, referring to the dissolving of a congregation, spoke of sexual slavery, he meant manipulation. So that while while he had said that, that there were these nuns held in sexual slavery, what he was referring to more was sexual abuse and and." manipulation of those undergoing sexual abuse occurring within the church. So he did sort of walk, or the, the Vatican sort of walked the statement back by using the term, you know, pulling away from the term slavery. But I, you know, as you and I have talked about, like, words are really important. And so the fact that there is sexual abuse, like, 100% that seems to be that everyone is in agreement that, that is a thing that, that occurred and might and quite possibly is still occurring. Uh, that this victimization involved a lot of force or a lot of coercion, a lot of manipulation. It's definitely people sitting in higher power positions, um, hurting people in lower positions, especially because the article that the Pope was referencing was talking about um, one nuns who after a long period of grooming had been abused, but then also nuns who were told they had to give sexual favors when they when they were financially dependent on, on priests, and then also they were sort of positionally dependent on priests because maybe the priest decides if you stay within a congregation or you move or you get another posting. And just the sort of tradition of the Catholic Church of nuns being subservient to priests um, are all things that made them really vulnerable. And... So this, this long history, maybe, then, of abuse hit in a very particular way. That doesn't necessarily make it slavery. Now, some reports coming out of particular types of sexualized abuse, um, particularly of nuns of nuns by priests, does seem to hit, um, and I'm referencing a very particular New York Times article that we'll link to you. You guys can read it and make your own... Uh, comments, um, which is pulling from another story written by the National Catholic Reporter back in 2001, you know, there within, when there was physical abuse of nuns, nuns were told that if they spoke out against, uh, the priests that were abusing them, that they would be moved to another congregation, or that they would be harmed, if the nuns became pregnant under, during this abuse, they were forced into getting abortions, and that this primarily happened in developing countries or places where the Catholic Church sort of had a stranglehold on both local culture, but then also sort of the the local community, where, where these women didn't have any place they could go or any place that they could report to. That, to me, seems to fit the bill of sexualized slavery a little bit more, because we're seeing, again, we're seeing the same things we talk about all the time here. We're seeing force, we're seeing fraud, we're seeing coercion, we're seeing people not having free choice of the will and we're also seeing you know very intentionalized sexual abuse where at, at one point there are men within the church saying that they they feel comfortable sexually abusing nuns because it's thought that these nuns are less likely to have hiv than women in, in the local community mm-hmm. and so I'm, i mean obviously we're going to link you to this study and i think in the, the one done in um, the National Catholic Reporter in 2001 that talks a specific group of nuns I think is is really useful and really great as someone who is Catholic. Like, this is something that i not just as a person in the world, woman, like, this is something that I find horrifying. But I think that there are, I don't think it's fair to categorize all of this abuse as a form of sexualized slavery. I think that it is very clearly abuse. It, I, it's violent sexual abuse. It's, it's someone using power hierarchies. But because Slavery, trafficking, has a very set legal definition. I don't think it hits this legal definition. I don't know if you would agree with me or not on that, Seth.
0: I haven't looked as deeply into it, and it yeah. seems like there could be more info about it than there is.
1: Yeah, but I my thing is, is that just based on what we have available to us now from those initial reports, for me it seems like in... The historical cases that have been referenced as independence case studies, that to me seems like those ones that are mentioned by by the National Catholic, that those ones hit sex trafficking landmarks and also labor trafficking landmarks because then these women, the the labor of these nuns is being used where both position and religion are then used as a form of, of coercion. However, I don't think that you can say that all forms of sexualized abuse that have come out of the Catholic Church are something that we can label as sexual slavery because that's just simply not the case it's it's really important i think to remember that exploitation is different from slavery that violence is different from slavery that that causing harm to an individual as as gross and weird as it may seem is different from slavery and there certainly are instances of sexual slavery happening within the catholic church and within other organized religions it's just that i don't think we can i don't think it's fair to both the survivors and to the situation to, to label this all as sexualized slavery. I, I don't think it gives sort of the, the true accounting of where it is. And what are we most concerned? Well, one of the things that we're most concerned about here, I think, is accuracy. We don't want to say that things are trafficking or slavery for the sake of, of sensationalizing them to like, get attention to it. We want to be as truthful or as, as reasonable as we, as we possibly can. But yeah, it's never a good day when you're Catholic and you wake up and your your Twitter is blowing up with people adding the Pope. That's never good. That's never good.
0: So on a related topic, I'm looking at a headline from the Daily Beast that is called Inside R. Kelly's Sex Cult.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> this is, yep.
0: So we're primarily talking about R. Kelly today, but uh, being that... Both JJ and I have uh, Christian backgrounds and JJ is a specifically Catholic thought we'd lead in with that today.
1: I mean, there is something though to be said. I mean, there's more, there's more intersection there too, because again, we're going to be talking about the issues of labeling, uh, power dynamics, mm-hmm. you know, um, and also if you ever listened to the great bop that is, I believe I can fly, or if you ever went to church Bible camp, you totally, if you were if you were a kid who grew up in the 90s, early 2000s, and you went to George Bible Camp, you definitely performed some sort of uh, praise dance to I Believe I Can Fly. So, there's other intersections there. Ours featured, you put your hands together like a dove and you made them float. It was, okay. If you guys have never watched I Believe I Can Fly, I highly suggest that you go look at it. It is from the Space Jam soundtrack, and luckily there are Space Jam doesn't have anything too too problematic. It's aged pretty pretty well. Anyway, so for those of you out there in the world who don't know who R. Kelly is, we're gonna start back in time. We're gonna go back to a to a simpler time, if you will, a happier time in America, nineteen ninety two. And I'm referencing a fantastic timeline, an R. Kelly timeline, that was put together uh, by CNN, actually, that literally is a sort of a timeline of all of the court cases and scandals and things. We again will link this to you, but so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be glossing over parts of this. So if you are an R. Kelly fan or archivist, I understand that we're not hitting necessarily everything. So R. Kelly has a debut album. It's called Born into the '90s. It comes out with Jive Records. It, it's a it's a major hit. It's it's doing super well. Um, But, again, hindsight note that in this one song that's called She's Got That Vibe, he's talking about Aaliyah, who we're going to talk about later, again, and it says, quote, little cute Aaliyah's got it. Now, Aaliyah is at this point 12 that he is referencing. So he does reference that a 12-year-old has got it, and in She's Got That Vibe it's a very sexualized song. He's not talking about like, she's got that, like, I don't know, awesome ability to be great in biology class. You know? She's got that great growth spurt. She's in the 97th percentile for her age. I don't know. He might be referencing, however, it, as some interviews have said later, that she's she's got it. You know, she's a, she's an it girl. She's talented. However, I would like to point out that this is him sort of in a sexualized context talking about a 12-year-old. This is important. Cut to 1994. So in the meantime, he's got a solo album that comes out. He, he does the song Bump and Grind, which is... Still a song that I hear like on on throwback radio every now and again, but he's definitely like he sort of sells himself as being this sort of sexualized singer. Um, remember, this is the '90s. This is still sort of interesting. Eminem is shocking. Remember, right? So like the fact that like there's this sort of sexualized song on the radio is kind of a, a bigger deal. But in 1994, he's 27. He marries Aaliyah. She is at that moment 15. now she also is about to put out an album that is called age ain't nothing but a number of which r kelly is the lead songwriter and producer now this causes a huge scandal when it gets out because even in 1994 way before the Me Too movement was even a glimmer in someone's eyes, people were like, yeah, you shouldn't be married. When you're almost 30, you shouldn't be marrying a 15-year-old. And the fact that, like, her album is called AJ Nothing But Numbers sounds like a big wink-wink, nudge-nudge to the fact that you're inappropriate. However, uh, R. Kelly or, you know, sort of his camp or Leah's camp, or remember, they're both under the same... Um, they're both under the record label of Drive Records. They come out and publish uh, a marriage license in Vibe magazine that does say that Aaliyah is is 18. However, that is later proved to be false. I have found the reporting on this differs that they gave them, that Vibe magazine published a fake one, or that there was a, a lie on the initial marriage certificate, whatever the case. Uh, the marriage is annulled in 1995, when Aaliyah's family kind of steps in, and because she is not of a legal consenting adult age, there her family is able to get it annulled on on her behalf. There there continued to be sort of things back and forth with 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 Aaliyah and R. Kelly until, um, unfortunately, uh, she she dies in in a plane crash in August of two thousand and one. And I'm just gonna do a little like footnote here, like Aaliyah is much more than just a character in the story of R. Kelly's life. She was an amazing artist, and everyone should go listen to her stuff, and it's um, ridiculous that uh, she passed away so young from uh, a very preventable plane accident. But for the sake of the story, we are focusing on R. Kelly, so we shall move on. Now, this is the first moment where I'm going to stop, and we're going to play a lightning round of, has human trafficking happened yet in this story? Because this time period of 1992 to 1995, when the annulment happens, I have seen some people in the media commenting on how this was a form of trafficking because he had he had a child bride. Seth, had R. Kelly, according to this particular narrative, committed trafficking of a child yet?
0: Well... No. It wasn't commercial sex. Right. So, no. As far as the legalities, doesn't appear the family consented?
1: No, they did not, which is why the annulment was granted.
0: But as far as, but with consent, laws vary by state and locality.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so had had she been actually in certain places, I think, like, legal consent for marriage in the U.S. and in most places is 16 to 18, but in some places I think is as young as 13, I believe. And then uh, with parental consent, you can get married much younger. This doesn't fit the legal bill of child trafficking for either sex or labor. Uh, because even though technically she was too young to consent, legally... This wasn't her parents selling her in or another individual selling her in. This was, however, I would define as an exploitative relationship, which the law recognized because if you're under the age of 18, you can't consent to marriage.
0: Right. Now, was it statutory rape? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Well, that that gets into, you know, and I think even if, yeah, actually, because even if in some some jurisdictions, there are Romeo and Juliet laws. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, for those of you who are unfamiliar, it basically protects people from being charged with statutory rape if they're within a certain age range of one another. So that, say, like a sixteen-year-old and a seventeen-year-old, right? Or I think in most cases, like a seventeen-year-old and maybe a nineteen-year-old can't be charged with statutory rape in places where Romeo and Juliet laws apply, where they're both consenting, the relationship has existed prior to this sort of age differentiation. Uh, normally, just because. Sometimes you may have a situation where people are actually only a month apart, but now they're a year apart under U.S. law, one's 18 and a minor because their birthday's in November, and one's – I'm sorry, one's 17 and a minor because their birthday's in November, and one's, you know, 18 and an adult because their birthday's in October, and it just, you know.
0: Right, but yeah, when a 19-year-old's dating a 17-year-old, it's probably rational that that's not statutory rape.
1: Yeah, whereas a generally. 27-year-old, a 15-year-old seems yeah. to set off some warning bells. And also, Romeo and Juliet laws are generally contextual and are not present, certainly, in every state or every jurisdiction. So.
0: Okay, what's next in the uh, so, Robert no, Sylvester Kelly so, so, story?
1: So so far, as far as we know, R. Kelly is not a trafficker. He may be a world-class douchebag. And he may be exploitative. And he may be showing a preference for younger women. But he is not trafficking. Alright. So so 1996. He marries a dancer and a choreographer. Named Andrea Lee. And then right after that. He gets sued. As well as his record label. His publishing. And his management companies. And she says. Now Tiffany Hawkins says that. Um she's suing because of emotional and physical damage that came from a relationship that she had R. Kelly that began when she was 15 and ended when she was 18. And unfortunately, that's about all I have on that because the case got settled out of court. So normally when things are settled out of court for a particular money settlement, it's hard to gain access to that private info after the fact. And he this is also the time when I Believe I Can Fly comes out and Space Jam and he's doing super well for himself. Now, again, this is another moment where it makes me go, "Ooh, I don't think this man is nice. This is not a good gentleman. However, still no trafficking has occurred. Okay. Now, in December of, and then after that, it's kind of quiet. There, there are a lot of jokes about R. Kelly. Um, if you like a TV show called The Boondocks, you will see that they even have like a satirical R. Kelly trial. But you don't really hear a lot out about it until December of two thousand, and that is when Jim Der- Derotitus and Aban and Palish publish the first of what will be many um, reports in the Chicago Sun Times on the many allegations that have happened with R. Kelly having sexual relationships with girls as young as 15. So it talks about Aaliyah, it talks about the Hawkins suit, um, so that's, again, this, this woman who has sued him for physical and emotional damages, and then it talks about two separate Chicago police investigations that had occurred sometime between 94 and 2000, where there were allegations that Kelly was having sex with an underage girl, but in both cases, the girl would not cooperate. So they they didn't have a, a survivor willing to testify. They didn't have someone who was identified as a victim willing to actually say, no, that this happened to me. And so as such, the investigations were dropped. However, they in this initial article, they're able to actually get a lot of sort of first-hand accounting of, you know, what these individuals defined as inappropriate sexual conduct and sort of an inappropriate physical conduct. But that, you know, just because someone is willing to maybe go on the record with the newspaper doesn't mean they're willing to go on the record with law enforcement. It's it's a different burden. It's just a different encounter. And one of the things that's great is that they put it in, that these two particular authors put in how it is that, because as, as we've talked about, laws differ from state to state, but one of the things they talk about is how within Illinois, state statute prohibits adult men from having sex with girls under 17, but prosecutions must be brought within three years of the act. So in the case of maybe someone coming forward, you know, when they're in their 20s, it doesn't, it probably is no longer applicable. And that the case has to be brought with, cooperation of the victim so it can't be in some cases particularly like with domestic violence laws you know if the the police or the state can bring a case on your behalf but in in this case in illinois you need to have that um, individual willing to testify so they ask you know spokesperson for kelly to comment are Kelly's people say, absolutely not, we're not commenting. Then January 2001, one of the writers, uh, Jim Teragos, he gets a videotape. Remember, this is 2001, children. Videotapes were these large things shaped like a book <laughs> where images were stored. So this tape literally comes in the mail, and the videotape appeared to show Kelly having sex with a young woman, Um, Derek Titus and the people at the Chicago Sun-Times look at this and go, this girl looks like she's underage, which is then that's child pornography, which is illegal, so they turn it over to the police. Nothing seems to happen with it. In August of 2001, another woman named Tracy Sampson who was an aspiring rapper, she had worked at Epic Records, which was a subsidiary of Jive Records, which is where R. Kelly has his label, she files a lawsuit against Kelly saying that he initiated a sexual relationship with her when she was 17, and that it was also emotionally and physically abusive. That case gets settled out of court. So, you keep seeing if you go to the Chicago Sun Times, like these two authors, especially Derek Titus, they are they are not letting this go. So anytime anything again pops up with R. Kelly, they are they are publishing it. And remember, this is like internet infancy too. So this is pre like TMZ, everything sort of hitting. So again, people who are kind of in into R. Kelly or into the rap slash R and B industry, or really into sort of subculture, they may know about it, but certainly it's something that me running around in 2001, 2002, I didn't know about, right? So that takes us to February of 2002, when a second videotape comes in to the Chicago Sun-Times. This one, they somehow internally are able to identify who is who is in the tape, who is the girl in the tape. So first tape, we still don't know what's going on with that. Police have it. Second tape, the girl in the video who is identified as being, at the time the video was made, a 14-year-old girl. Uh, You can hear Kelly. Kelly is identified being there. Uh, Kelly is identified um, in the tape, like, talking to the girl, talking to the girl by her first name. And the girl is herself identified by the aunt. At the time... Uh, so at, in two, February 2002, that girl is just now turning 17, so she is a minor. They don't release her name. They don't release any, you know, identifying information. But it becomes very clear this is now a child. Well, the, when it was filmed at, at the age of 14, it's it's child pornography. But remember, there's only three years. There's a there's a three year limit. So it might actually be past the statute where someone can be arrested for this within Illinois, Kelly comes out publicly and, and denies the allegations, he says that this video isn't him. He he says that he basically makes the claim that this video is a falsification, it's it's a fake leak, and that it's done by people that he's fired as sort of an internal way to harm him. It's done by people who are against him in the industry. Somehow this tape gets leaked and people start buying it on the street. <laughs> there, there are like literally like like R. Kelly tapes going around. And I know I just laughed because this idea of the celebrity sex tape had just sort of hit right around then. And the thought of, like, people buying bootleg VHSs on the street is weird. But remember, this is a 14-year-old who apparently was, it seems to have been, was filmed without her consent. And now random strangers are watching it on the street. That's, That's not appropriate. Now, Seth, so far, has trafficking happened?
0: We're not aware of any commercial sex, so no.
1: Nope. No sex trafficking has happened yet, as far as we know. Then... April 2002, R. Kelly gets sued again. This is by a woman named Patrice Jones, who says that she was 16 when she started a relationship with Kelly, and again, he was emotionally and physically abusive. He forced her to have an abortion. Uh, He was violent to her. That also then gets settled out of court for an undisclosed amount of money. Then, May of 2002 happens. Uh, A dancer named um, Tina Woods, who is... 33. So the eldest victim so far sues Kelly after she says that he filmed their basically um, filmed, produced, and then released a sex tape of the two of them without her consent. That's illegal. You have to have both parties consenting when you're filming pornography. You can't just film and then release it. Um, So she sues him. That goes to court. That settles for an undisclosed sum very, very quickly. Again, still no trafficking. Now, here's I would say at this point a certain pattern of behavior is present. I would say a certain pattern of misbehavior is present. Maybe rather, but still nothing that I would identify as a massive big kahuna that that law enforcement can get involved in because it seems like everything has happened where it's come out after statute of limitations has passed or with some sort of claim to legality present that a lawyer could make. But then we get to June. We get to June of 2002. And the early 2000s were a weird time in America. Um, I don't know. How would you define the early 2000s,
0: Seth? Oh, let's see. I left for a year.
1: Did you just did you just bail out of the U.S. at that point?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the early two thousands, we we had nine eleven, which was a big psychological moment, yep. and uh, you know, went to war soon after that. Uh, there, there was some guy I met in New Zealand who really hated George Bush because he started a war, stuff like that. But yeah, there's a lot going on.
1: Yeah, I mean the the euro happened. Uh, Kmart filed for bankruptcy. Queen Elizabeth died. Uh, we start to see terrorism. Yeah, because, like, you know, not only have we had 9-11, we had the D.C. snipers. Uh, we also had the the Chechnyan rebels who took over the, the Moscow theater. You know, uh, Iraq said no U.N. weapons inspections. Mm-hmm. There, there was a lot going on, really. it was It was a strange time. It was a strange time. NSYNC put out a new album. I was really into that. (laughs) Kelly Clarkson won American Idol. Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers came out. You know, just, it was a weird time in America. We were going through a transition. And apparently so was R. Kelly. Because in 2002, he gets accused of... Well, he was accused and indicted on 21 counts of child pornography. And so what happens is... They immediately start investigating him with the film of the 14-year-old. So we I can't find anything about what happened as a result of that first videotape. So the second videotape, they start investigating it, and they they hunt it down, they go through, they find over 50 witnesses that identify R. Kelly as being in the video. Then they talk about the selling of the video. And then through sort of further investigation into R. Kelly because of this video, they charge him with 21 counts of child pornography.
0: Even though he had sex with a 14-year-old, like, you can see it if you watch the video, I suppose. But yes. because it's over three years, you can't yes, charge the past
1: it. The statute of limitations. However, if it was filmed and then sold with his knowledge the act of making pornography did not hit the statute of limitations does that distinction make sense Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah so it's a stupid distinction it's so eventually and like this is thing to remember for those of you who really know law and order the tides of justice move slowly so he's almost immediately released on bail in 2002 the trial itself doesn't start until may of 2008 It's immediately reduced to 14 charges. And then by June of 2008, he is found not guilty on all counts after the jury deliberates for the day. So, so far, he has not been convicted of child pornography of any sort. He's not been convicted of any sort of violence against an individual. He's not been convicted of pedophilia. And he's not been convicted, actually, or charged with any sort of violence against women. We do see a lot of complaints that seem very valid because they've all settled but we don't know too much and then after that again r kelly sort of slides in and out of public consciousness again he becomes sort of a joke uh the boondocks again was actually how i learned about r kelly is that they have an episode that makes fun of him and the video on the fact that he got off He, his, his popularity as a musician sort of waxes and then wanes depending on him putting out very particular sort of ridiculous music video scenarios, but it it certainly falls quite a bit. A lot of venues, for example, won't host him because there's, like, public outcry when people find out that R. Kelly is coming to the city, but in, like, mid to, like, late 2016-2017, he's on the rise again, which might be what gets his attention Or gets the public attention because in July of 2017, BuzzFeed publishes an article saying that R. Kelly is holding a group of adult women against their will um, as a part of a cult. And in fact, the the article title is Inside the Pied Piper of R&B's Cult. They do put cult in quotation marks. And the subheading is parents told police their daughter is being held against her will in R. Kelly's cult. And it was this story that BuzzFeed did where they interviewed a number of families who had all reported that their, their daughters, their young daughters, were, were being held, quote-unquote, in some sort of strange sex cult with our Kelly. Uh, the girls ranged in age from 18 to 31, so all of legal age, and were part of a, a, an entourage a group of about six women that were, were living with, with R. Kelly. In particular, one of the things that always gets referenced is one from Timothy and uh, Jalen Savage that her that their daughter Jocelyn Savage, who you know again she's over eighteen she's an adult was was being held by R Kelly against her will, but she put out a video almost immediately on to TMZ of her talking into a like a webcam saying that she wasn't being held at against her will she she was being quite. She's quite happy with her situation. She wants her parents and the world to understand that she's really, really happy. Now, this sets off this article, which, while it's quite interesting, they do use the phrase sex slave a few times, at least with the case that's made in the article. This is not a case of sex slavery. This is a case of a bunch of women Living with a dude who might not be a good dude, and a bunch of women having a, a relationship with him that is sexual and is perhaps maybe not what most people would define as as normative, and maybe isn't healthy, and certainly that their families and social group, former social groups, don't agree with, but it is not trafficking. Just like with our Nexium episode, where we had to sort of draw this distinction between what what is trafficking. Behavior and, and what is exploitative behavior, we see that here. But this BuzzFeed article starts the ball rolling where people just start crawling out of everywhere to, to tell these stories. For example, in August of 2017, Jeronda Johnson-Pace, she breaks a non-disclosure agreement she had, So she was in a previous um, lawsuit in around 2009 uh, or so that had been settled for money, she breaks that and tells BuzzFeed that when she was 15, she met R. Kelly uh, when he was actually on trial on child pornography charges and that they began a sexual relationship. Other people who stepped forward to say that that they had relationships with R. Kelly that were inappropriate uh, were Kitty Jones... Faith Rogers, uh, a woman who goes under the title Anonymous, so so someone who's chosen to keep those things. We're just so we're seeing a lot of people come come out. Then R. Kelly does what I can only define as the dumbest thing that he could possibly do in the face of these allegations, and he releases a song called "I Admit," and I will link y'all to the song. You can happily go and listen to it, if if you so desire. It's on SoundCloud. I am perplexed by it, but I shall quote the following lyrics. What's the definition of a cult? What's the definition of a sex slave? Go to the dictionary. Look it up. Let me know. I'll be here waiting. Say I'm abusing these women. What the bleep? That's some absurd bleep. They brainwashed. Really? Really? Kidnapped. Really? Can't eat. Really? Real talk. That bleep sounds silly. That doesn't sound like a man who's taking these concerns seriously. Uh,
0: Not very good poetry either.
1: No, right? Thank you. Well, R. Kelly has admitted quite publicly that he is dyslexic and illiterate. So maybe he can't actually look it up in the dictionary. But that's just me being mean because at this point, I don't like him.
0: Hey, he's capable of rhyming. We've seen that.
1: Yes. Yes. So that takes us to, I think, honestly, in in part, um, because of, of his response with this song, I admit, that BuzzFeed and the documentary team says they're going to make a series called Surviving R. Kelly. It starts filming, and then eventually it premieres in January of 2019 and sort of that blow up from that is why Seth and I are talking today because the minute that the series comes out, which details sort of all of the sexual exploitation that R Kelly has been engaged in, you know, sort of, because even, even if you eliminate this fact that of an adult man and, and young women, even if you eliminate from that, if you eliminate the pornography charges, you're still dealing with someone who repeatedly in all of the, sort of, uh, transcripts and whatnot in the narratives of these stories is someone who approached these young girls as, hi, I'm an established, successful man in this industry. I can make or break you. You should then follow exactly what I am saying and, and in a very predatory and coercive way, and you should have sex with me because, you know, I'm the thing that can make or break your career. Also, I love you and I can trust your ability to be an artist. You know, That sort of behavior of, of, of power dynamics is is exploitative and, and not okay. Now, one of the things that comes out, though, in Surviving R. Kelly are some comments about how women living with him currently, the, hence the current sex cult, if you will, have undergone mental, physical, and sexual abuse. In particular, a few things uh, that all the women have to call Kelly daddy. They have to ask his permission to bathe, eat, use the bathroom, move between rooms, and for their clothing. And then some of the descriptors for clothing is, uh, you know, to to wear baggy clothing, to not be seen, you know, to not appear sexual to anyone other than him. Now, this is actually backed up by... R. Kelly's former personal assistant, who said, "Who said, quote, you have to ask for food, you have to go to the bathroom. Kelly is a master of mind control. He is a puppet master, and that he controls the the their phone, their social media use, and that there are actually really strict rules that you're not allowed to go visit um, the like your family or have contact with your family, and that you have to stay in his um, homes in Georgia or Chicago. You're not allowed to leave." The Some articles go on to list some of the women living in, in the house, um, including a 31-year-old den mother whose job is apparently to train, quote-unquote, I'm quoting from the BuzzFeed article here, uh, newcomers on how Kelly liked to be pleasured sexually, a uh, 25-year-old woman who's been part of Kelly's scene for seven years, a recent arrival, a 19-year-old model, an Atlanta songwriter who began a relationship with Kelly when she was 19 and is now 26, and an 18-year-old singer who is uh, apparently, quote-unquote, uh, Kelly's current favorite. Now, this is when I start to get a little concerned about this trafficking element, and that maybe it's maybe this is when we're sliding into truth here, because some of the things that are said by women who previously lived with Kelly and by this previous uh, personal assistant, that they must ask permission to leave... Their assigned rooms that there is a driver and security parked per like purposefully and constantly outside both homes that these women are in who is apparently told that he is not that he is to keep the women inside there not to leave that the women are not allowed to have cell phones that all of the women are filmed ...doing these sexual activities with or without their permission... ...and that these videos are shown to others in their circle... ...and that are are kept by Kelly as sort of a... um, ...a collateral. And... ...that when women break the rules... ...they are punished physically and verbally... ...and so one of the women who had left the home... ...said that he did hold her against a tree... ...and slap her... ...like, violently... Uh, and that she was emotionally and sexually manipulated as well. That to me is when we start to slide into the the sex trafficking element because if these films if films are being made without their permission and then distributed to other men for 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 profit or for gain, then that's when we're sliding into sort of the commercial sex industry, so it hits the definition of sex trafficking. What do you think, Seth?
0: I think that that's possible. It's possible. There's also a possible labor trafficking element, depending on what you have have them do. Yes. But without question, it's abusive. There is psychological coercion. It is controlling. And this is just on that alone, like being in a uh, dating relationship or a marriage with somebody who's really controlling is also – very close to being trafficking or slavery but, but not necessarily slavery. But like it's it's in a gray area of coercion without question. So it's whether it's trafficking is whether we have that commercial element, whether there's prop whether it's yeah. some sort of profit or labor.
1: Yeah. Now I definitely, like, I agree with you. Like, is, it, is this ridiculously exploitative? Yes. Is this violent? Is this disgusting? Is this morally reprehensible? Is this just gross? Like, yes, to all these things. And is this clearly, like, a, a sign of domestic violence? Yes. Does it fit, or at least do what we know of the narratives, do they fit human trafficking? No. And so is it very, very dangerous to call these survivors or, or the women who are currently living with him or undergoing the situation or that we don't know about to, to call them sex slaves, I don't think that that's... I think that that's very poorly done by the media who who should know better because that's... To call someone a slave, that's a definitional term. So, I mean, I think you can call it a cult, But not one that's recognized by the United States. Uh, I think you can call it certainly an individual who is misusing his position to control individuals who might otherwise be vulnerable. But it doesn't. It's right now. From what we see, there are elements that fit a human trafficking narrative, but this does not seem to me like a case of human trafficking.
0: Well, in in terms of prosecuting it, this also gives everyone listening to this a sense of the difficulty of prosecuting something as human trafficking because I look Uh at this, I would find this hard to prosecute based on what I know because it's not a clear enough cut case to say, yes, it's absolutely human trafficking because there is clearly commercial sex or clearly some form of labor that somebody is getting value f- from it. hmm And that's one reason why there are a lot of cases not prosecuted as trafficking, but are prosecuted as something else in order to get somebody off the streets. Yeah. Now, uh, is there currently an investigation relating to R. Kelly?
1: Yeah, so there... This is this is sort of the thing. So one, he re released that song. It's now 19 minutes long, if I admit, and has, has stretched a little bit more. Um, which is why I think like it's it's interesting to look into it because the way in which he seems to phrase things is interesting. On top of that, he is under criminal investigation in Georgia related to some of the claims that are made during that documentary. So they're not looking at into the women that are that are currently living with him, although they are they did say publicly in a press conference on the 9th of January that they were interested in, in hearing from more people. However, what the Georgia DA is investigating him into is tied to this idea of maybe underage girls being present or underage girls uh, engaging in, in sexual acts with him prior prior to this that we don't know about, and then it came out um, a few days later that he's also now under investigation in Illinois as well. So this is there's a dual investigation that's now happening, both um, so now in Atlanta and in Chicago about things that came up during the lifetime film. But with each passing day, we're hearing more and more like states or, or more and more cities that are interested in um, opening up investigations. Because so one of the things that recently came out is that New York City is now thinking about opening up a case because some of the victims who were interviewed in the the Lifetime investigation were were people that had met him while he was on tour in those particular cities. So I've also heard of criminal investigations possibly opening up in Florida as well. And what's really interesting about that is that all of these states have different statutes limitations present and available. So something, you know, it could be the same, victims could be the exact same age, it could be the exact same circumstance, and it might get thrown out in Chicago, but it might be valid in New York. So it's it's all going to be really interesting to see how this all sort of shakes out in in the coming days. I I think what you're going to see is probably a lot of bandwagoning with additional states popping up and opening up investigations for the sake of doing you know due diligence. Our um, Kelly's camp, meanwhile, has come out and said that they are going to sue pretty much everyone engaged with, with the making of this documentary,
0: which is what powerful men do and powerful women. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. And in the meantime, like we are seeing sort of his like cultural cachet drop quite a bit. Things like, um, with things like Lady Gaga pulling like previous work that she's done for him. He's been very cautious on his, um, on his social media, Talking primarily just about tours that he's going to go on, international tours that he's going to participate in, and, and new music he is dropping. He's, he's not really making any reference to allegations that are present against him, with the exception of that, of that song.
0: In regard to sex trafficking laws, there is a federal definition, but it does not look like there is a federal case at this time. Most of the ones that you just mentioned, J.J., if not all of them, are at at state or local levels. And states Uh all have different definitions of human trafficking and have different anti-trafficking laws. I don't even recall whether every state has their own law. I'd have to double-check on that. But the point being how they would prosecute sex trafficking might differ in, in one state than another. So that adds some complexity to whether this is trafficking or not. And investigators may be able to find out that it clearly is. We shall see. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I I think that we're going to see a lot sort of in the coming months. But again, to remember, slow moving through the courts. So like an investigation is not an indictment. An indictment is not an arrest. An arrest is not a trial. We'll see where this goes. And in many cases... If, if all of the ones that we went through, you know, sort of these publicly recorded suings and then settlements, you know, like you can't, people might have signed off on things that will then prevent them from testifying or participating in a criminal case against him. But it's not, so far, so far, not trafficking.
0: So that's the main point. Uh, there have been a few people of color talking about This as an example of like, what are the value of young black women in American culture, given the history of slavery and Jim Crow and racism? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a bigger discussion. And uh, there's other people who are more qualified based on their experiences to talk about that. But that also seems like an interesting angle as it does relate to just our legacy of slavery and racism in the United States.
1: Well, and I think we, we talked about this a little bit too in our in our last podcast as well. You know, this idea of of certain bodies having weight and certain bodies not.
0: And that's what we wanted to cover in this episode. There's lots of discussion from many angles on R. Kelly, which uh, we're not going to be talking about, such as whether you want to listen to his music or not.
1: Yeah, I yeah we're not we're not getting into that at all. But I think it's really important that people in the human trafficking community, because I see a lot of people like reposting stuff about R. Kelly. Like we have, we have to be careful with how we use this language. Like, I know it might seem redundant and I know it might seem like we're beating a dead horse, but like we, ha- we, it, it's, you can't say that someone has committed a murder when they have it, you know, like you have to be very careful in your language when you're dealing with, with complex legal and social terms. And so I think that this is important.
0: Yeah. again, somebody doing something really bad sexually does not make it sex trafficking and it doesn't mm-hmm. mean we have to use that word for it to be an evil act yes alright well thanks for listening everyone we'll be back next week
1: bye everybody bye. sorry if I ruined Space Jam bye this
0: has been Speaker for the Living For extended notes and sources, visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com.